Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn with the Go Long Podcast. Hope everyone out there is having a fantastic week. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Hamburg Brewing Company. Get on down there. Check it out if you're in the Western New York area. Have some fantastic beers on tap. You know, we love the Hoptimonium. We love the Louie and that Lakeview Lager. It's always perfect on, uh, God, these hot days that we've been having around here. So uh, make a point. Stop on in. Hopefully we can catch you in person there for a podcast, for a live event. We'll be keeping everybody informed at golongtd.com. And we'd love it if you subscribe to our newsletter, golongtd.com. Every feature, every profile, Q&A column delivered right to your email inbox. And we're going to have an announcement next week on everything coming ahead for training camp. I think you guys and gals are all going to love what we have in store. I've been doing a lot of reporting, have a lot of long-form stories coming. So uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Be sure to rate it, review it, share it with a friend. That's what keeps this thing rolling. And thrilled to have Chris Sims for this episode of the podcast. He's a a phenomenal at what he does now, obviously, breaking down the game, breaking down quarterback play uh, with a fresh perspective. Doesn't get sucked into group things. So catch him at NBC Sports and uh, online on his Twitter account. But also, we got into his playing career. Uh, Just some great stories um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and not so great stories with almost losing his life, needing his spleen removed. He broke it down play by play. So hope you're able to stick around for the whole podcast. And until next time, here is Chris Sims. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? This is the Go Long Podcast. I'm Tyler Dunn here with uh, Jim Monas, as always. And uh, Jim, I'm fired up for this podcast. Uh, We've got the great, the legendary Chris Sims on with us right out of the jump. Chris, it's great to see you, man. It's been way, way too long. How you been? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be with uh, you and Jim. And I mean, Tyler, you, you've always been a great dude since our days back at Bleacher Report. So I always try to accommodate. You're one of my favorite people in all of media. Uh, so anytime, man, I'm glad to do it. Way too kind, man. Thanks so much. That's right. We uh, 
cross paths there for got at least two or three years. I want to say, right. I, I would say I was there for about five years. I felt like the last two or three is when I started to get to know you. I don't know if you were with them before that. We just didn't cross paths or whatever, but uh, always enjoyed all your articles. And then like, even in the in post bleacher report, when I went to NBC, I mean, you've written a lot of good articles and, you know, stirred the pot a little bit. And you've given me and Florio a lot of things to talk about, too. So <laughs> it's been perfect. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, man. I, I just remember uh, at, at BR's um, studio or like the setup that they had there in New York City, like you had a room where you would just grind the film. I mean, I remember like you were in there morning till night watching film in the off season, like just to learn, like, I, I don't even know if you were working on a story, working on a video, anything. It was, you like lived in there, didn't you? Well, like, like Jim will tell you, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to be good at evaluating football and players and really find the real answers to what happened out and, you know, happened in a game, you know, you, you got to do your due diligence and sit down and study the film. That's going to give you the answers. Not that it's, always going to give you everything you need when it comes to specific player, you know, uh, evaluating them and everything like that. Of course you could be wrong in those instances, but yes, I'm a big believer in that, whether it's the draft free agency, you know, people listen to my podcast because they want to hear me break down maybe the five biggest plays of like the biggest game of the week or whatever that is. And I enjoy, you know, sitting down and kind of, figuring out who was right or wrong or what coach did something creative to, to screw the other one over. Uh, it's the best part of the game. In, in my opinion. I mean, like in an industry where there's so much just nonsense and BS just kind of shouted from the mountaintop. I mean, that's kind of how your star has, has risen. I mean, you're doing the work, you're watching the film, you played the game, which we can't wait to get into your playing days, but I didn't mention it at the top um, NBC sports co-host PFT live with Mike Florio and you have your podcast, unbuttoned correct yeah chris sims unbuttoned which you could say i'm i'm hoodied up right now with a zip up but yeah you know i mean you remember me back up bleacher report i button up the top button all the time right i'm on pft i'm unbuttoned up i watch what i say but then you get me on the podcast i'm still buttoned up here but my mouth becomes unbuttoned and then i can swear and say whatever the fuck i want yeah i hope that was allowed right there but i just did it absolutely (laughs) I always right. want to ask you, does that, hurt? I mean, I've got kind of a big neck. Sometimes it gets a, you know, I've only, I've only been shaving like once a week, you know, with a little baby on the way. So it gets a little, gets a little neck beardy down there. That would hurt. I feel like I, I couldn't pull that off. Does it, does it You got to find the right size, man. You got to yeah. find the right size. It, it, I will say I have some shirts where I put it on in the morning and gone, whoa, I'm going to choke myself all day. <laughs> Let me find a new shirt. I can't wear this one anymore. I've definitely hit that, you know little uh, bump in the road before, but, but most of my shirts fit comfortably to where it's not cutting off circulation to my brain. Hey, hey Tyler, <laughs> for, for me, for my first real experience with Chris outside of his playing days was I'm a huge Dan Levitard fan. So when I really gained, Chris, you might hate this or like this, but when I really gained so much respect for you was when they literally, you started with your list. Yeah. He was the, I don't know how you did it. You literally every day you ranked every guy all the way to one. It was phenomenal. And and I give those guys credit too, because they, they beat a dead horse. I mean, they won't let it go, but I gave you so much credit. I, my, my friends that listened to it were like, he really, he really has a long list. And he actually, like you were watching guys. That's when I was like, Oh, he loves this. Like 
I could tell you were really watching guys into the 40s. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it was pretty cool, Chris. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, that was uh, definitely a launching point of my career, for sure. Like, I <laughs> I am in debt to, to Dan Levitard all over one comment. All over, Dan Pastor, Dan Patrick asked me what was wrong with the Jacksonville Jaguars, yeah. and I got so sick of answering the question. I just because people were asking me all the time, and I wanted yeah. to be like, "Are you watching the same game I'm watching?" They can only call two pass plays because the quarterback can only throw those two pass plays. They have to run the same two routes all the time. Yeah, the so I finally came out and was like, "It's because they have the 70th best quarterback in football." Right. right. And I always have a good feel for somewhat of a loose top 30, top 40. That's what I do. Now, when I've said that, I went, oh, man, I better get to work a little bit on 50 through 70 (laughs) because I haven't watched all those guys real closely. But I was confident in where I had kind of put Blake Bortles at that point to, to make that statement. That's really what I felt. You know, and people, of course, the way we are with the NFL right now and everything like that, it's like, oh, if the team wins, it's the quarterback's fault. It's just quarterback, 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 quarterback. And, you know, I was just trying to make the point back then, as I do now all the time. It's not all about the quarterback. Let's build a team. Of course, we know how important the quarterback is, but we've seen plenty of good teams with average quarterbacks go to the AFC, NFC championship game, Jared Goff in the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo, who I would say is top 20-ish. So you don't have to have a top three or four quarterback to be the best team in the NFL or win a Super Bowl. But it gives you a lot of flexibility, as you guys know, because you could have a bad day. And if you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you could still win a lot of games. And that's where a great quarterback is really special. Well said. I mean, that's a great place to start. I mean, your quarterback rankings at all. I mean, I think people are looking forward to it this time of year now to see what you're going to have, because, I mean, by this point, there's so much group think and it's that mock draft kind of mentality where it gets to a point in the offseason where most everybody on TV is kind of saying the same thing. And you drop this list and it's like, whoa, you know, there's always a few things that make people kind of raise their eyebrows. Um, and I, I think, you know, you're, you're you've always loved Aaron Rodgers's game, obviously, for, for good reason. And, and you have my Josh favorite quarterback Aaron. ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. I, I've never seen a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. And then, you know, I know we're going to get into the Super Bowl and rings and all that. But yeah, that that hurt me a little this year because I, I bumped Rodgers down. Sorry to cut you off. I didn't mean to. My, my bad. No, cut me off, please. <laughs> better for the listeners. The best part uh, of this, Chris, is is how you this is how you created this, you know, by just saying Bortles isn't even the 70th best. And now. You have to defend every single time. It's, I love it though. I love that you actually watch the tape and you find reasons why it's, this is the question I have for you. Did you ever want to get in this guy? I know you worked with the Patriots a little. Did you try, did you want to go into that path at all? Definitely. And I still keep the door open for that to, to maybe happen sometime in the future. Once my kids get a little older, you know, I got a little girl that's 15 and a little boy that's 11. So I can like, see light at the end of the tunnel to maybe where I'd want to do that at some point. It's definitely something I think about. And yeah, when I got done playing Jim, it was the first thing I had to do because I felt like if I went into TV or did something else, I'd go, huh, am I messing up? Should I have gone, you know, and worked in a front office or tried to be a coach or do something like that? You know, I started in new England, which was a great opportunity. I learned a lot. As you both know, it's probably the worst place to start when you just jump in 
because there's no like dipping the toe. It's like all of a sudden you're full fledged, you're in, they've given you three jobs for the price of half of one. And you just got to, you know, grind your ass off. And uh, I, I really did enjoy it. But what happened ultimately was, yeah, I had young kids at the time and I was struggling with the fact that I felt like I had only seen them a handful of times the whole football season. Uh, I had just got done with my playing career where we had moved a lot because I lost my spleen and all of that stuff. And uh, I got offered a job to be a quarterback coach somewhere else. And I came home one day and told my wife that she was like, what, you know, you're telling me we might move again. She's like, I don't know if I signed up for this. And I looked at her and I was kind of like, I don't know if I signed up for this either. I got to rethink this. And uh, of course, that's what started me going to Bleacher Report and, and where I am now. Sean, Sean Payton told us a great story. I worked for the Saints for eight years. And uh, Coach Payton told us when he started in Philadelphia, he was either the quality control. I think he was quality control. And I think Gruden was the quarterback coach. I think you're right. Okay. And the story goes, Coach Payton, obviously, he just had a newborn wife. They just moved to Philly. And he said he was trying to talk to us about life, you know, just family life. And he goes, I had to learn quick that he, he said she was always very supportive. He goes, but I walked through that door at night coming in from the office. And he said she was basically throwing the newborn at him, like here, right. it's your turn. And he said, he's just letting everybody know if you want to be in this business, it takes a toll on a lot of people. It does. It takes a toll on you personally, yeah. your family life. As we've yep. seen, we've seen a lot of coaches, right? Just in my lifetime who've had little family issues. I mean, it, it's a tough job, tough as job. we all know. It's it's extremely stressful. You know, it's a year-to-year, -year, unless you're like Bill Belichick or Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, everybody's fighting for their life on a year-to-year -year basis, you know? And yeah, uh, it, it is. It's, it's, it's a brutal business. This is cutthroat of a business as there is in our country for the players and the coaches. And uh, I don't know if everybody always realizes that because they just think, oh, it's so cool. You're on TV, you're playing sport. Yeah, it is all that's cool, but you know we are human beings too, and uh, it does affect that in this business for sure. And you, you literally kind of have to reprioritize what's important. Like if you're a scout, right? I mean, you basically have to put it up on a board. All right, well, football's more important than raising a one or two year old at this point because you just don't have the time. There's 24 hours in the day. Like, no, no, you know, like I can even speak specifically to what I did in New England. I was the quality control coach. Right. So, I mean, offensive quality control, I'm breaking down all the film for Josh McDaniels and the offensive side of the ball. And then my other job was I was in charge of players in the Northeast region who were draft eligible. So I always had to have their videos up to date and available. Right. So the scouts or the pro personnel or the GM, Nick Casario at the time or whoever, if they wanted to turn on and watch a guy, they could watch his most recent plays or whatever. So even on a Saturday as a quality control coach, I was always like, well, okay, great quality control. I don't have a lot on my plate today, but oh man, Saturday and Sunday, I got to get my scouting duties done and do all those things. So even though I thought like, oh, this will be an easier day, maybe I'll get a chance to see the kids and hang out. There was always something else on my plate to where it affected that. And I never got to spend the time I wanted to on those days with my kids. And Ultimately, that's what I went in and told Bill Belichick. I just said, man, I'm sorry. I'm really like hate that I put you in this position. Uh, I'm appreciative of what you've done, but I just don't think my family can do this right now. And, and he was very understanding of that. I wonder what his family life is like, you know, Belichick. 
Well, I, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to get too deep into that part of, of life, but yeah. I also, this is what I'll say. I, I don't think it's a coincidence and Jim would probably, you know, back me up on this, that you see all these coaches and their sons working with them now. They're trying to make up for lost time. Yeah. Not only is it like a great life, like moving forward and sure you're setting up your kid, but I think so many of them do feel guilty to like both, both of you said, where they're like, man, I missed all this time. Okay. Let me get Steven Belichick on the staff with me. Yep. And now we can spend time and make up for lost time and all those type of things. And I, I do think that's probably the biggest reason you see so much family on different staffs across the league. Rex Ryan with us was, you know, right. He, he was a big believer and, you know, he hired Rob, um, you know, now his people are taking care of his son. I think Anthony Lynn just hired uh, Rex Ryan's son in Detroit, I think. As, so they, they, you're right, Chris, it goes so deep. And Andy Reid yeah. did it his whole, I saw, I, the right. sad part is I know his son's in Philly and the tragedy that's happens are just, that's just awful. Yeah. But you're so, you're so right. Um, look at Zimmer in, in Minnesota. I mean, his son's the co-coordinator, what I mean. I worked with his son in New, in New Orleans for a little bit and they missed they no. miss their father. They missed their father. I'm with you. I mean, listen, I think Norm Turner came back to Minnesota just to make sure Scott could get back in the game and get going to make sure he could solidify himself as an offensive coordinator. And I'm not saying that to be negative about Scott because Scott is totally qualified to be where yeah. he is with Washington. But I think that was part of it. And that's part of the business. And also that leads us down the hole of, why it's hard to get new people, people of color involved in the coaching hire cycle because it's such a deep-rooted family business and this closed circle of, of people in the coaching world in the NFL. And that's, you know, it's a great thing that the families are involved, but as we both know, it's also, you know, affecting other people getting new jobs in the league as well. That's well, such sir. a great point. I don't know how you bust that, how you change that. I mean – tough i know it's tough and hey listen the other thing i always say like you know i, I mean we're just talking shop here it, it's tough to be a low-level employee in the nfl right now unless you have a little money saved away and things i mean a lot of these low-level employees are making less than minimum wage once you break down their hours and then what they're actually being paid they are and I was fortunate that, yeah, I just got done with an eight-year NFL career. So I could lose money for a year or two, you know, as I did that and all that. But, like, some of these other guys, I mean, they, they, they're, you know, just trying to survive on a weekly basis in a, you know, small apartment, you know, eating the food at the facility to save as much money as they can and all that. And uh, that's the other tough aspect about breaking into the business. I could see when we would be in draft meetings as a scout, or personnel director, and you see all your scouts, well, you're all sitting around the table all day long, blah, blah, blah. But you could see the guys that were, you know, they would talk to you, hey, I have a newborn, or, hey, we're going through this at home. And it's just like any other job, you have to put that into perspective. Like you have to give guys time. And that's the problem with football. It's like, you don't feel like you're ever a late, nobody wants to step away from it because you feel like the other guy is going to be watching, like Gruden and Belichick, you know, 4.30 a.m., whatever. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, it's, it's just it's, yes it is it's crazy yes if, if whoever stays in the office the longest will win the game i might not be working i might just have my foot 
up on the desk watching TV, but I was here longer than you, so therefore I'll win. I the promise you this, thing Chris, ever. <laughs> go, to, go through what the funniest thing we could do is on an 8 30, 9 o'clock p.m. on a Tuesday, Wednesday night, go through all the offices. If you had a camera, I promise you half those coaches and scouts are sleeping. Oh, like they're with, um, the, with the remote with the cowboy in their hand. No doubt. Uh, Yes. Afraid to leave because the head coach hasn't left or anything Afraid like that. Afraid to leave. Yeah. And I, listen, I went through that for the first few months in New England. And then I started to be like, wait, I've been here since five this morning. I have grinded my ass off nonstop. It's nine o'clock. It's 930. Anything I do from here on out, I'm going to mess it up and be stupid because I'm tired. And I started to just walk out. I did. I started to just go, I'm leaving. I know Bill's here, but I did everything I could today. I'm gone. And I had a few older coaches come up to me and kind of go, hey, you're okay, man. Bill, like, if you do your work, Bill will never judge you for doing anything. You're okay to do that. And that made me feel so much better. And, and then, of course, that gave me the confidence to do it every night. <laughs> I just remember here in Buffalo, like, Sean McDermott, an early press conference. Maybe you remember, Jim, like, he was talking about like how, when he was leaving the building or when he'd get in and do the math in your head, it's like, man, this dude's what sleeping two, three hours a night, whatever it was. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just thinking like, how productive are you doing your work? If you're only sleeping that much, like I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember what he said. I know it seems so counterproductive and I'm sure he's not alone. They're like different ask. animals though. These guys like Jim, Jim will tell you, I will say, I mean, most head coaches were like the psycho kids who had crazy energy as a kid. And, you know, or like almost borderline ADD and all of those type of things to where, you know, I could speak to my friend, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Hold on a second. You guys still got me there? We can hear you. I still there? You okay. Sorry. Now I'm back. I don't know. That was my mom calling there for a second. Um, uh, um, I, what, what was I just saying there? I totally now, lost. You were talking about coaches being almost, um, oh, they're, yeah. they're psycho. Well, high almost, energy. Like, they can psycho. Like I, I can speak to Kyle Shanahan, like he, I know he grinds and he doesn't need a lot of sleep. I've seen it throughout my whole life, whether I was in college with him or even, you know, in Tampa Bay in the early days when he was the quality control coach, he was made for it. He just has that type of energy, that type of DNA. And I think a lot of these coaches are amazing that way where they can kind of just fight through it and still be pretty damn good with three and four hours of sleep. I wonder if, I wonder if McDermott, I'd love to ask him if his sleep schedule is a little bit better now that Josh Allen has turned the corner a little. He's, oh. sleeping, he's sleeping just a little better. Probably How better than after that Nate not? Peterman game in, you know, San Diego or LA. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, right, hey, we drafted, right. That was, that was Peterman was our, that was our last draft. Peterman's right. Hey, I had hope. I like Peterman coming out. I'm, I mean, there's, there's nothing not to like about Peterman other than that when he gets in a game, you just can't trust him. Everything else has been very good. I mean, I don't mean, but it's tough where he started. Oh, well, Chris, to your point, and I know we don't want to go too hard on Peterman right now, but that we took him as a, we thought maybe he could develop into a two. Right. I mean, right. we didn't, what happened was crazy. I mean, he, he caught everybody's, when he got to Buffalo, we were out, but the guys I knew that still worked there said, you know, he just, he blew everybody away with his, he learned the offense, right? We sure. all know how that, that wins every coach over second day. Yeah. And then, you know, when you watch him, he is accurate. He does make good decisions. And you're thinking, okay, maybe he has a shot. And then, oh, my God, that those lights went on. And Chris, we'll get into this later. But this is how 
you can do young quarterbacks so wrong. And, sure. And that offense wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to, to take that team wasn't good enough. No, no quarterback was going to have success in Buffalo at that point. Now they might not have been as bad as he was for his little time here, but I'm telling you, and Chris, I know you'll agree it, that quarterback position, you can be set up for success and failure as well. No, no, no doubt. No doubt. I, you know, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all with you on those type of things. Yeah. You know, again, it's, Patrick Mahomes is awesome, but we can't forget that he's got Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins and Andy Reid, and they were the number two team in the AFC when he got drafted. And I love Mahomes. He's the best player in our sport. I know that. But you got to have support. You got to. I don't care who you are. You know, Ryan Tannehill down in Miami. Yeah, okay, he didn't look that good. Oh, really? Well, why was he supposed to look so good? What on that team told us that he was supposed to be good, they were supposed to be good oh wait he got to a team in Tennessee oh now he's he's a top 10 quarterback I mean so I I, that's why I'm a defender of Sam Darnold you know you're surrounded by shit and shit's all around you you're gonna get some shit on your arm and smell like shit I don't care who you are it's just you can't avoid it so uh that it goes back to what we were saying earlier Jim it's just support system these guys are not Superman you know you've got to have you know, the right support, whether that's scheme, players, whatever it is, there's only a few people in history that can really overcome, you know, those type of obstacles and still make their teams competitive or really good. And that's a very short list, in my opinion, um, you know, but that's that's a topic for another day. I mean, let's I can't wait to dive into your top 40, but maybe we start at the top, <laughs> like with your with your own career, Chris, like you had a team got in 06 right where i i, I yeah. remember we we've talked about it my brother was a big bucks fan our family we went down to that playoff game we're sitting i think right behind edel shepherd we thought that was a touchdown too in the moment but uh, uh that was a team right. that could have won it all i mean you, you you did have some talent both sides of the ball it seemed and um but i, I don't know i guess before that let's jump into what probably everybody has maybe heard about with you but don't really know the full story the spleen sure man. take us through that yeah like, i think we all know it was removed we all know you could have lost your life but what was it like to to live it against carolina right early in the year right it was yep so it was 05 was the season you were talking 05. about the playoff run that's right. it was 06 wild card game right we played washington there to me it's my favorite moment in my nfl career i don't have that many moments but to walk out and you know i grew up NFL watching my dad every Sunday I mean my whole life has always been NFL I want to get to the playoffs I want to get to the Super Bowl as a player so that was a dream come true for me that really was to play in that playoff game played pretty well the stats won't say that I had two balls batted at the line of scrimmage that ended up getting intercepted but other than that I played really good and that that of course was the Calvin Johnson rule before Calvin Johnson was even known at that point really I mean he was probably still at Georgia Tech but I was unaware of that rule. Yeah, threw it to Edel Shepard. He caught it. Two knees hit the ground. Then the rest of them fell to the ground. He lost the ball. And I was like, wait, he caught it. The two knees were down. It's a touchdown. Uh, so, yeah, that was a weird one. But then, yes, the next season, 06, we had, were the NFC South champs. We started out the year 0-2. I wasn't playing very good the first two weeks. I made some bad mistakes. We played the Ravens and the Falcons, uh, who were pissed and angry. The Ravens, of course, it was – you know, the first year with Steve McNair, they were real good. Uh, the next week was the unveiling of Michael Vick and the read option in the NFL. That was the first game ever in the history of the NFL, read option. I can still remember him faking the ball 
other work done and keeping it around the edge. And Monty Kiffin's head almost blew up. Our defensive coordinator was like, what? What do we do to defend this? Oh, no. And they ran for over like 300 yards on us that day. So now we're 0-2. It's week three. It's the Carolina Panthers. They're our biggest rival in the division. And it's a big game for me. And we start out kind of slow offensively. I think I threw an interception on the first or second drive of the game uh, or the first drive of the game. The second drive of the game, you know, I, I got a curl route to my left. I'm about to throw it and somebody flashed in front of it. So I pulled it back. The pocket's collapsing and I'm going to throw the ball out of bounds because I know nobody's open. I can't get out of this. I'm throwing it out. We'll live to play another down. As I'm going back to throw a big Chris Jenkins, right? You remember Chris Jenkins, the big nose tackle? Terrible. I mean, one of the biggest humans I ever played against. And, uh, and he hit move. me from the back, right? He hit me from the back just as I was like at the top of my release. And it extended me open. And Thomas Davis, who I saw the whole time, was running right at me. But he put the crown of his helmet right into the soft part of my stomach. And that was it. I mean, I, I didn't know what happened. Of course, you don't think about your spleen or internal organs getting hurt in a football game. I didn't know if I broke a, a rib and it was puncturing a lung or whatever it was. Uh, but because of the circumstances I laid out to you, I I was extremely uncomfortable, but there was no fucking way I was coming out of the game. There was no way. There was nothing the doctor was going to say to me or anything. So a lot of people put the blame on the doctor at the time. And I would go, I'm a grown man. He wasn't taking me out unless like I saw there was an artery cut and I was bleeding to death. Uh, little did I know I was bleeding to death. So I continued to play and took a lot of big hits as the game went on. So I think I hurt my spleen on that play. And then took some other hits later on that broke the hematoma on the spleen that was stopping the bleeding. And then it became free flow blood in my abdomen. And late in the third quarter, I called, I think we had a play, it was 97 power King. And I went on hard, hard two. Okay. You've heard Gurdon, you know, good old 97 power King, right? So he, uh, Chris, let's run. Let's, you know, let's run strong left 97 power kick. So I do it. I'm figuring, let me get Julius Peppers or one of these guys to slow the hell down. Let me go in a hard count. I'm underneath the center. And as I'm going, blue 85, blue 85, and I'm looking around, the curtains are starting to come down on me. And I'm going, what the hell is going on? And, like, everything is going dark. I send a guy in motion. And I'm literally going, oh, no, what am I going to do here? I'm going to have to grab this snap and just turn around blind and, like, stick the ball out and hope Cadillac Williams grabs it. Thank God our left guard jumped off sides. Dan Benning jumped, jumped off sides. And I took a knee. And, you know, I was on the verge of passing out. I went inside. I got an IV. I said, I feel a little bit better. I'm going out to finish the game. I'm going to finish it. I drive us down on a long drive. We get down to like the two or one yard line. We don't score a touchdown, but we kick a field goal to take the lead late in the game. And they end up kicking like a 56 yarder to win it, uh, which was, which is a dagger at the time. But man, after that, I'm sorry for the long story here. You know, uh, I got a Jake Del Ohm ran over to me. I got a picture still his head's tilted. Cause he's going, dude, you don't look right. That's what he said to me. He goes, are you okay? You don't look right. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I don't know what's wrong with me. I walked into the locker room. Gruden was talking to the team. I kind of just walked by because I, 
And I just went back on the training table and laid down because I, I just had nothing. And they said, let's go to the emergency room. Maybe it's your spleen. They took me in there. CAT scan went down. By the time the CAT scan got down to my pelvic area, they ran out of the room and they said, oh, Chris, it's bad. Like we got to go into surgery now. And next thing I knew, they were cutting my uniform off me and shoving a catheter down my, you know, what hole. And it just was like torture. And I was just kind of sitting there and now they're kind of drugging me up. They brought my wife in to say goodbye to me because they, they said, they just said, Chris, it's, we don't know. You've lost a ton of blood. I had lost eight pints of blood, eight or nine point t- pints of blood. You only got 14 in your body. And uh, next thing I knew, uh, you know, I woke up the next morning and John Gruden and Bruce Allen were standing over me in ICU and I made it. Thank God. Holy shit. I mean, yeah, are yeah. you fearing for your yeah. life in there? Like at what point are you thinking I might die? When did it become? Well, real? I, I knew it was critical. I could still remember the surgeon, Dr. Ashivaria, as they were like drugging me to put me out. Right. I can remember him sitting there eating the apple was looking at me he was eating an apple looking at me like and at that point I was so miserable because I had so much blood in my abdomen I couldn't breathe so I was like real short breaths and when you get like that and I don't know if you guys have been in any situation similar to where you're I was literally like take a machete and open me up I do whatever you gotta do I can't go on like this so I was at that point in just survival mode and like, do what you got to do to help me here. Yeah. I realized I was in trouble, but I wasn't thinking death. I could tell you that. But you said goodbye to your wife too. I said goodbye. I, and she came in and I had a little girl at the time. It was just a few months old. And I was just like, Oh, I'll be okay. I'm going to be okay. Go home and take care of Charlotte. I'll be all right. I kind of just shoot it off. I wasn't going to accept that. I mean, anybody that knows me knows I'm a fighter, the least. I mean, I might be an idiot and a blonde and from Jersey and all those things, but I'm a fighter. I'm not going to just give up. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Jim. No, I cut you off. No, I was going to say the one thing I tell a lot of people is until you can see a training room after a game or that next day after the next two days after a game in the training room and what right. you guys, all you guys do to get ready for that next game, it's I didn't, as an area scout, I was never with the team. But then once I was with the Saints, Coach Payton had us in a lot. The Eagles would, Coach Reed would let us around the games. And I'd go into the locker room after games, and it was almost like jaw-dropping to me to see how how did you just play? You can't even walk right now. Right. A lot of guys, and especially the O-linemen, the D-linemen, I mean, their stuff takes tolls on them right afterwards. I mean, they – I know. And it's just, it's amazing. Amazing. That's what I was going to say until you really see. And that's why I'm always, and Tyler is too. I'm always pro player for everything. I, yeah, we all have jobs because of you guys and and we have lives because of you guys. And I, people do not understand what goes into even getting from week to week. No, it's a brutal sport. And, you know, people played high school football, people played college football, and sometimes they think they can relate. And I just, I always go, I've had some college friends who never played in the NFL and all that. Mm -hmm. And then they bring them on a sideline for a game and they can't get over it. They're just like, man, the field seems so small. I can't get over how big everybody is, how fast everybody is, the collisions themselves. You know, again, 
These are all the alpha locker room leader, love football, the best athletes from your college teams now on the same field in the NFL. And the and of course, it's grown men. And it's, yeah, it's supporting your family. And it's, you know, people that are 38 and 21 all together. And it's craziness, as you're saying. And it's as physical now as ever. And that's where, you know, you get into like the Tordal conversation. That's where it's interesting because Tordal is a great thing and a horrible thing altogether. Right. And I don't know what they're going to do with it because if they don't have Toradol, I don't know how guys are going to be able to make it on a week to week basis. But at the same time, the Toradol does a lot of negative because it, it makes you numb and you don't even know you're hurt sometimes or you might be hurt. And now you take the Toradol and you don't realize you're hurting yourself even more because you are numb. And, you know, listen, that's that's why we got to be pro. I mean, player friendly because it's, it's just it's a brutal sport and it's such a short career span. Just back to you quick, Chris, on, I mean, how do you return to the field after this all, after you nearly die, after you're saying goodbye and they're tearing you open and doing like, like you, you return to play as long as you could in this sport that we're talking about. I, I almost tried to play later that year. So later that year, there was like three weeks left and I was like, man, I don't know if they're going to bring me back as a starter. I didn't play that good before we lost the spleen. And then, of course, I got hurt. I was like, man, I, 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 there was a, I was thinking let, maybe I should play the last few weeks and remind them of the guy that, you know, like, hey, I'm the guy that took you to the playoffs two years ago and, you know, brought us back in the fourth quarter six times in that year and all those type of things. Um, so I went to the doctor really pleading to go, I think I can play again like in early December. And he was like, why? What are you, crazy? He's like, and, and of course, that kind of stopped it. He was just like, you're no way in any shape to take a hit there in your abdomen, do anything like that. And here's the worst part about it, guys. So, yeah, I came back to play. I mean, Ty, you know, that's all I know. I grew up with a psycho father and Phil Sims who played for Bill Parcells. And, I mean, if he had a broke ankle or his shoulder was, you know – sprained or whatever he was gonna play I mean that's just all I knew and and I love the sport but what happened after was really I think the 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 most frustrating and worst part for me because I got progressively physically worse uh from about that point on I started to my muscles started to atrophy you know Mm -hmm. since my core was split open down the middle those core muscles were shut off. You know, the body's smart. When it knows it has a huge injury, the muscle, the brain tells some of those muscles, hey, turn off so you don't pull that that scar and do those things. The problem is it starts to kill other muscles if you don't do the right things to keep them going. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, I couldn't do sit-ups and I couldn't throw the football. I had one of the strongest arms in the NFL, and all of a sudden, I couldn't throw it harder than I could in eighth grade. And I really had to go a long time without answers or finding someone that could help me get back on the right track. And that was really maybe some of the most frustrating part of the whole thing. Cause my will was there. I wanted to play. I didn't care about the injury. I was over it. And I just couldn't show people for, for maybe a year and a half that I was back and like close to what I was. I finally got close to that. The Denver Broncos signed me in, in 2009, that was, and I was the backup there. 
but I just never got a chance to play again and show everybody what I was. And I think I just, I got kind of got chalked up as like, uh, he's never, he was never the same after that injury. And that really ended up being the, the end of my career when all said and done. This question I always like to ask um, you guys after your career, did you, were you upset on draft day being a third round? Did you think you were going to go higher and were you upset on draft day? And do you feel like you were set up for success or, or can you look back and say, geez, guys, that's not how you, you know, grow a young quarterback. Sure. No, um, I was upset on draft day. I yep. was, I ended up being like, it was musical chairs. I ended up being the odd quarterback out basically. Cause I was part of the year with Rex Grossman, Carson yep. Palmer, Byron Leftwich. Yep. I really thought the Ravens might take me in the early twenties. They took Kyla Bowler, which still pisses me off to this day. I love Kyla Bowler. He threw more interceptions and touchdowns in college, but he mm -hmm. threw the ball through the goalpost on his knee, That's which right. like I could have done too. I should have made the fucking video, but that <laughs> got him drafted. I don't know. You know, I had a little bit of a label from Texas because we couldn't beat Oklahoma. That's so, right. you know, it was my fault. Right. And I, I couldn't win the big game. And that became a little bit of like the, the, the aura around me. And Here's the last part that really, I think, hurt me that day. You know, one of my last visits was to the Raiders and, and Al Davis. And Al, I, I felt like Al loved me. I, I mean, Al, Al told me they were thinking about taking me with one of the last, they had the last two picks of the first round from the John Gruden trade. And he told me they were legitimately going to think about taking me with one of those last two picks. So I thought like, the night before the draft, at the very least, the Raiders will save the day for me. Well, it didn't happen. And, you know, then I, I ended up on the third round. And to answer your second part of the question, yeah. I do feel like I was set up the right way with Gruden. Yeah. I mean, was it perfect? You know, maybe not. I mean, listen, he's a pain in the ass. We know that. But he was the pain in the ass I needed at that point in my life, too. He made me better mentally, physically. He made me a better leader. He taught me a ton of football that I'm always grateful for and everything like that. And really, I think for their set of circumstances with a team that had just won the Super Bowl, trying to balance the salary cap and all those type of things, I really think Gruden did about as good as he could do to, to try to support me and everything that way. Hey, didn't like Vince Wilfork hit you pretty good too in 05? That was another uh, story that in the you back like of my that brain. story, don't you? Yeah, you mean oh. when I had... Um, when my when my male parts were Laker colors, yeah, that's what it yeah. was. Laker colors, or you know, my I mean, my my twig and berries were Baltimore <laughs> Ravens colors. When I woke up later in the week, it's a lot um, of Vince Wilfork in that region, you know. Oh, it was the biggest physical beating I ever took in a game. It was the only game in my life we played them in 05, early December, uh, and you know, of course, they had won three of the last four Super Bowls. We went up there in a cold day, you know, Tampa up in a cold day in the Northeast. That ain't like a recipe for success, right? So we struggled. But man, Richard Seymour, Willie McGinnis, Roosevelt Colvin, they hit me so many fucking times in the first half of the game. It was the only game in my career where I remember in the fourth quarter going, I'm sore already. Usually I'm not sore to like later that night when I'm getting into bed or waking up the next morning. But I had that type of soreness as the game was going. And early in the fourth quarter, he put his face mask like right on my pelvic bone, 
right above my my male parts there. And I'm telling you, it hurt as bad as anything other than my spleen injury I ever had in my career. And I woke up the next morning and I had Lakers purple and yellow all down there. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of interesting colors down there the rest of the week. <laughs> I just remember like a, like a high school basketball game once a kid went to save it. And, you know, like in, back in back in the day, you take the ball, you try to chuck it off another player. Yeah, throw it at him, right. And it was like right in front of me, a direct shot. Boom. Right on the mail. Yeah. You no, know, whatever you want to call Good it. Good thing there. I didn't hit the and, mail. He didn't hit the mail parts. He hit the bone right above. Oh, it, right? okay. See, so this this was a direct was shot. I know that that I'm sure hurt you a lot. I just remember, no like doubt. the ref was oh. the only one who saw it, and he was like, "Son, are you okay?" Like, holy, oh my god! I remember having to literally, you know, feel around, and make sure I was still intact. You know, am I, is, am I yeah? Am I still good to go? And like, there's that moment there where you're like, "Holy shit, what just happened?" I'd imagine. Yeah, like, no, I, I at least didn't have that. I wasn't. Yeah. Thir- I wasn't worried like I had a third testicle now or something yeah. like that. I'm. I just was like such a weird spot to get hit and. You know, as Jim or or you may know, like NFL football players don't wear cups. I don't know. Most of the public, I'm shocked. They don't realize that. They think we all wear cups. There's just no. It's too constricting and annoying. And NFL players are looking for any advantage they can to get faster, move a little bit better. And that thing's annoying down there. So, you know, yeah, yeah, it's amazing more shots don't directly happen to that region uh, then, then, then it actually happens. I think the only person on our high school football team who wore a cup was the center. And I was quarterback just cause he, you know, we were really good friends, but you know, that we weren't that friendly. He, he just wore a cup for a little, uh, separation, you know, for the direct yeah, snap. No, that he was it though. I think that was the only person. That's it. After uh, you're right. That was the last center I had that worked up when I got to college. I was like, wait, there's nothing here. This is what? Okay, I guess we're playing football. And it was that way from here on out, you know. <laughs> oh my god. Well, we could talk about, you know, cups for a while here, but we got to get into this into this ranking because I mean, like I, I think of uh the what's the old Jack Black quote in school or act, those who don't do teach and those who don't teach teach gym. So you're on you're on all with us teaching gym now, just talking about sports. So that's it's a good place to be, right? Like you're not going to get hit and you're not working these insane hours and you know, we can just make rankings and talk. It's a good I'm night. not complaining. I'm yeah. not. Yeah. I'm, yeah, you know, it's great. There's no doubt. Uh and and I, you know, I love talking about the sport even when I'm not on doing something like this or whatever. I'm talking to one of my friends in the NFL, my dad, somebody else, and I'm talking football. So it's uh, I'm definitely not complaining about my job. That's for sure. Was there a quarterback that was better than what you expected when you really put this list together and you're watching film? And was there a quarterback that was worse than you expected? Ooh, all right. Let me look at my list here just to refresh myself here. And it's pinned on Chris's well, think- uh, Twitter timeline for anybody out there looking for it. Yes, you're right. It's all pinned there, anything like that. I think, listen, the one guy I'll just say at a base level that surprises me every year and people always give me flack about how high I rank in. And I think this is the year everyone's going to go, wait, this guy's good because his team's winning and now he's good. It's Matthew Staff. That's the first guy that every year I come away breaking him down going, damn, I don't know. Detroit maybe would have won one game if they didn't have Matt Stafford. Or maybe they would have won two or three. I don't know. But he keeps them in every ball game. He is the team. 
like we talk about a lot of, like we were saying with Ryan Tannehill, you know, like what about Detroit said Matt Stafford to bring them to the playoffs the last eight or nine years? What on their team is worthy of that? So he's one guy that I will always say is just, I think, you know, vastly underrated in, in the public's eyes, uh, at, at least in my opinion. That, that would be one that jumps out to me. You know, I think the guys that, like, surprised me also in a good way. You know, I brought up Tannehill. Derek Carr's year was phenomenal the more I broke it down. There was nothing you could say about Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr, you know, efficiency, accuracy. I think he let it go more this year as far as making plays. That was my big complaint about him last year in my rankings was like, hey, man, stop trying to be so perfect. You're too talented. Like, let it fly a little bit. Don't always settle for the four-yard check down. Let's hit the 70-yard post. You're capable of doing it. And I think when I went back and watched him, that was kind of one of those where I was like, damn, that was really a really damn good year uh, by Derek Carr. And I, I hope people back off from him. So I think those are some names that jump out to me. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, of course, the ones I thought negatively were the ones towards the end of my list. And – you know, that's – I don't know if there's one that jumps out to me more than the other. You know, I think the one I have my eye on the most, just to give you a name, of course, is Tua. I still have Tua outside the top 32 of my starting – I mean, he's not a top 32 quarterback, in my opinion. I got questions. You know, I had questions about him coming out in the draft. I think, you know, again, everybody liked Tua – but, yeah, I like Tua, too. Are we going to bring Nick Saban and Alabama with him? You know, that's that was my question. I'm just still not sure how good he can be in the NFL. I think he can be a starting quarterback and good that way. But can he ever live up to top five pick of the draft billing? That's where I got to see it to believe it. And that's where it'll be a big year, you know, for him uh, to prove people like me wrong. But I'll say this, too. If Deshaun, you know, Deshaun Watson and those rumors you heard about Miami were real. And I think that speaks a lot to what Miami may feel about Tua, too. And they feel like it's a big year for him as well. Well, that's why I respect I respect what the Rams did so much. I mean, there's a quarterback that you can say what you want about golf. I'm not a huge golf fan, but he obviously is a good enough quarterback that you can win with and proven got him to a Super Bowl. For them to get rid of a quarterback that they used in the Super Bowl says so much about what, how they feel about Stafford. That's really all it says. It doesn't really – it's not a knock on golf. It's just right. hey, they value Stafford as a guy that you can't find, and they're putting all, all of it on him. So, And I agree with you on Carr so much. I, Carr last year played so well. I, it's a shame that we don't get to see Carr and Stafford in the playoffs. Like, it's – I want to watch those guys in the playoffs. No. And I 100% agree with you on Tua. Tyler knows it. I've been talking all year about Tua where I don't want to be too hard on him because I want to give him another, you know, right. rookie coming off an injury. Right. So, but wow, he didn't show me much uh, this year. I would agree. I, I don't see it. And I think Miami, obviously they're in the mix for anytime you hear about Aaron Rodgers or Watson or Miami's in the mix. So that tells you all you need. To know. No, you're exactly right. You know, sometimes you just got to read between the lines a little bit. And that says a lot about what's really going on in the NFL. And yeah, I mean, I know, those rumors are real. They're, they're not, I know that I've been saying that since back in the spring and yeah, I think it does speak a lot to the situation and, you know, back to Stafford. Yeah. You made the points. It's not that of course, again, yeah. You don't have to have a top five or top 10 quarterback to win in football, mm -hmm. you know, but I think where McVay got finally frustrated was he realizes 
maybe he had a quarterback that wasn't maximizing what was available in his offense, right? Right. right. And I think that's where it's going to be, you know, beautiful with Stafford. Now, hey, you know, hey, you know, here, here we go. We're going to go run the zone. Oh, okay, fake the speed sweep, you know, run the zone. Fake the speed sweep, fake the zone, play action pass. Fake the speed sweep, fake the zone, bootleg. And now instead of running the bootleg where Jared Goff might have been looking for the guy in the flat or the 10-yard the shallow crosser, McVay is going to be like, like, wait, on the outside, we got a 25-yard comeback. You're Matt Stafford. Just throw a rifle in there. Oh, wait, this week, instead of running that 25-yard comeback, do a stutter and now run to the post, you know, 60 yards down the field. Don't worry. Stafford can hit that if he's falling backwards. No problem. <laughs> and that's where it gets exciting for that offense because McVay's offense isn't overly complicated but he has a great little formula that keeps you in check and keeps you off of all of his other things. And now when you have that and Stafford, to me, great quarterbacks and great offenses make you defend every square inch of the field. And that's where McVay and Stafford together, I think, can make that offense a lot more dangerous. Can Trey Lance do the same eventually for uh, your friend Kyle Shanahan in San Fran? Well, listen, that's that's a big question. I don't know if he's going to do it this year. You know, I, I don't know where that's going to go. I, I mean, again, you know, listen, you know, I'm I'm Kyle's my buddy. He's one of my best friends in the world. Um, I'm still shocked they drafted Trey Lance at three. I can't I can't lie, nor would I have traded three first round picks to go up to number three to get Trey Lance either. And I understand. I see Trey Lance's talent and all those type of things, too. But there's also just things that scare me, too, to where I wouldn't have made that type of move to go get him. I think they honestly could have probably stayed at, listen, uh, they, they could have stayed at 11 or 12. Where were they at? 12, I think, originally before they made the trade. They could have stayed there and got him. You know, from everybody I know in football, right before the draft, Trey Lance's agent was calling every team in football going, if the 49ers don't take him at three, I don't know who's taking him. He didn't have a place for him. So, you know, that's where that's interesting. And, of course, it's a guy and a player that, yes, has a lot of high-end talent, but hasn't played a ton of football, played one double-A football, where they never really asked him. They, never, they were never in a game in his career where they were like, you got to drop back 30 times today and dice the defense up or we can't win. No, they were the best running team in, in one double-A football. So he got to always play off of that. You know, he never ran a two-minute drill his whole college career. Never ran a two-minute drill. You know, let alone there's some things mechanically that I got to see fixed throwing the ball before I can totally buy in. But having said all of that, okay, Shanahan's a genius. Shanahan's going to find ways when he does play to run him and do things with his great running game and now add him to this element that I think can make the 49ers very dangerous. You know, whether he's the starting quarterback or Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know. It sounds like it will be Garoppolo, but I would be shocked if there's not a Trey Lance package and a handful of games this year where he gets in there to give the defense a different look. Do you give Kyle hell after that pick? Like, do you just call him up and... <laughs> I, I don't I don't give him hell. I mean, he knows how I feel. Yeah. I mean, he knows that I would have taken Mac Jones all day long in wow. that one. And, and listen, I always thought he was going to take Mac Jones. I mean, you know, I looked like one of the biggest idiots in sports media because people were like, well, he's your best friend. And I, I always said from the start, he didn't tell me who he's going to pick. I just know my friend and 
know the type of quarterback he's always liked. And it was always that Drew Brees, Matt Ryan type of guy. But I think there was a little bit of a, you know, he's enamored by the playmaking ability of Trey Lance and the high-end talent we talked about. And I also think he probably looks at it like, man, this will do another wrinkle to my offense that will keep everybody off of my other stuff. And it'll be hard to emulate or steal his stuff off of that as well. You know, Chris, you made a great – the Trey Lance thing was – it was hard for me. I only evaluated two – I could only get two games of tape on him. So it was the, the little game that they played last year just for him, which was – Right, which cool. wasn't great, right. And then the national championship that he played in, I didn't think he played that – or he played – it was against James Madison. Yeah, two years ago, right. I didn't think he played that well in that game. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, they're not, they're not drafting him based off what they watched on tape. They're drafting him on what they can do with him. And that's I scary. So. Yeah, I think that's scary. But Chris, I wanted to bring up another point you made. I didn't realize until I was with, I was lucky enough to start with Andy Reid and really learn football with Sean Payton. But the amount of two minute offense and four minute, four minute offense is a big thing. Because when you're a good team, like we were in New Orleans, Coach Payton was always like, hey, we're going to score to get the lead. We're going to run the ball in the fourth quarter and we're going to hold the ball to win the game. That is an amazing thing to be able to do when you have the right quarter, that two minute and four minute offense in the fourth quarter. You, you can't even, we practiced that so much in New Orleans. I couldn't even believe it. How much two minute we did. It, it was like, it, it, it just, I never, you know, when you grow up, you just think it is so every NFL game comes down to it. Exactly. That's the, that's the point, right? I mean, it's, I mean, you watch the one o'clock slate of games and you go, wait, there's eight games on and six of them are coming down to the last drive of the game. Last game. And it's just like, what quarterback yep. can make the plays? Or, oh, it's two great quarterbacks. Which guy's going to get the ball get last? The ball last, yeah. Right. I mean, Dan, if you ask me, you watch the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson, that's all they play for. They just go, let's just keep it close so Russell can have the ball last, and then we'll win it that way. I've never seen a team take that approach more than they do. They're unreal. I've heard Kyle say the same thing. He's like, it's the scariest thing in the world. You know, he's been like, it's like they just play to keep it close. So he can have the ball in the last drive. Um, so you're, that is crucial. There's no doubt. Now, the four-minute point, though, that's where, I mean, Trey Lance could be dangerous for sure. And when you take Shanahan's, the most creative run system in all of football, one of the best offensive lines in football, a great tight end, you know, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and all of that, that can be really tough to your point. If you have a lead trying to, cut, you know, stop that offense with Shanahan, it's going to be really tough. We've got a lot of Bills listeners, so I'd be remiss, Chris, if I didn't give you a chance to uh, How pan- dare pander, you? pander, Get please. To the Bills. Yeah, they they uh they want that chum in the water right now. Why Josh Allen is better than the quarterback you said is the best ever, who also has gone one and four in the NFC Championship game. Well, let's start there. See, I don't like that you said that. Okay, one and four in the NFC Championship game, and I'm not sure. Other than the one he won, he was never on the team that was better. Never. Well, Caleb Haney almost took him down. Who's that? I said Caleb Haney almost took him down that that day at Soldier Field, too. So Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't pretty. I mean, this is why I always go to, like, Aaron Rodgers, to me, is the greatest quarterback ever. Because, I mean, you know, never great defenses. You know, okay, he's got decent weapons around him his whole career. Never, like, a top-notch running game. But Green Bay's Super Bowl contender every year. Why? It's because of one guy. That's all there is to it. You know? And – 
he can't play defense and recover onside kicks to beat the Seattle Seahawks either. Like somebody's got to help the fucking guy out every now and then. All right. So that would be where I would defend Aaron Rodgers. And that's where, you know, you go through Aaron Rodgers and, you know, because I do, I love him. You know, quickest to 40,000 yards, quickest to 300 touchdowns, the most insane interception to touchdown ratio in the history of football. It blows everybody out. And he's a gunslinger. And he's like, takes care of the ball better than Drew Brees or Tom Brady. And it's not even close. So that's where I look at Rodgers and just go, Man, I mean, if he was in New England with Belichick and all that, we'd be it'd be a totally different story. And I'll never, you know, not defend him that way. But if we get to right now, this past year, 2021, and all of those things, I think if you put Aaron Rodgers on the Buffalo Bills, you don't have the same results that the Buffalo Bills have. You know, at this point in Josh Allen's career to where Rodgers is, see, like, to me, okay, yes, Rodgers, better decision maker, right? Might take care of the ball better than Josh Allen. But not enough of a difference there to me to go, wait, that part's better. But wait, all the things Josh Allen does, all the great plays, the running aspect he brings to the table, the quarterback design runs, and then – I mean, either Allen or Mahomes are the best off-schedule football quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, they're just – like, Allen can sit in the pocket with people around him, Aaron Donald grabbing him. Oh, it doesn't matter. 20-yard pass on the money. Boom. Then he can sit in the pocket, dodge seven people, run out of the pocket, threaten the line of scrimmage, and then – but looking to throw. And it's like – it's just pick your poison. Oh, wait, you want to come up and get me? Oh, then I'm going to throw a 40-yard laser by you. Oh, you're going to drop back? Well, then I'm going to run 30 yards down the sideline. He's almost unstoppable that way. And to me, I mean, you could make a case for him as being he, – he was as valuable as any quarterback in football last year. He easily could have been the MVP for my money. It was right there with Rodgers, and I know how special of a year it was. But, yes, I think at their point of their careers where they are right now where – Rodgers is starting to decline a little bit. And I say that, you know, just a little bit. I know the year he had. And Allen just continues to go this way. And some of the stuff he brings to the offense, I just don't think you can quantify on a stat sheet. You know, you just the, the playmaking ability, like I said, his ability to score. Nobody has rushed for more touchdowns at the quarterback position in the last three years in the NFL than Josh Allen. Yeah, that's right. Did you hear me, everybody? Nobody, nobody, not Lamar Jackson, nobody has run for more touchdowns than Josh Allen. You know, and those things don't get put on your quarterback rating or anything like that. And it has great value to that Buffalo Bills team who hasn't been a very good running team, especially last year. And they needed that element from him. So sorry for the long answer there. But yeah, I love Josh Allen. You know that. I love him coming in the draft. And he's a stud. He's a superstar. He's one of the best players in the NFL. You know, Chris, the one thing that people don't talk enough about, especially with Josh or any of these young quarterbacks, like well, any, if you can win your team over, okay, when, when the when your defense and offensive line, when they wake up every day and say, we have the right quarterback, we'll do anything to win, you can't put a value on that. In New Orleans, I saw it. Every single guy was like, we are going to do whatever we can to get Drew Brees to the Super Bowl because we know if we get there, we can win. That's how the Bills believe. That's how this whole team, the organization, sees Josh Allen. Like, they complete trust in him, and that's hard to find. And you're right. They wouldn't 
they don't need to get rid of him. <laughs> they don't ever need to get rid of him. No, he's he's a lifer. I mean, he's lifer. a really, really yep. special talent. Yep. He's arguably got the strongest arm in football. Yep. He's a huge man, and he's definitely one of the – other than Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, if you yep. make me take the next best running quarterback in football, I'm taking Josh Allen. I am. I'm probably going to take him over to Sean Watson, who I think is a special runner, you know, that way too, you know? Um, so, I, yes, Josh Allen is one of those talents, to your point, Jim, where the Bills are going to believe they can win any game, any time. Because when you have a guy like that, it's like Rodgers or Mahomes or mm -hmm. Brady or whoever mm -hmm. else. You just go, man, we got that guy. We got a chance today. There's no doubt. And I even think back about the AFC Championship game. This spoke words to me. Chris Jones leading up to the game. They remind me a lot of us a few years ago. That's what he said about Josh Allen and the Bills. Like, yeah, you mean a freakish quarterback who could just throw lasers anywhere he wants over the field? So I thought that spoke loudly. And, yeah, I mean, Allen, uh, just some of the performances last year, I think that's what jumped out to me really more than not, is when I went back and watched it, as awesome as Rodgers was and everything like that, there were a lot of games where the Bills, I went, okay, the defense is playing good, but it's not great. Wait, there's no run game today. Uh, they're not pass protecting that well, uh, but they're up by 20. Why? Why are they up by 20? Because this guy is making throws that nobody other than maybe Mahomes at this point in his career can make. And I think that, you know, people lose that in translation. I know how my buddy, you know, Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan felt about him after they saw him on that Sunday or Monday night game. I mean, they, they were like, well, their defense played perfect all night. It didn't matter. He just bought time, avoid rushers, threw the ball down the field, did those type of things. And that's where he's, he's really special that way. Let alone, he does all the mental stuff right too. You know, and that's to me where like Mahomes and Allen have changed the game. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. I know the right reads to get the protection and all that. And they don't do things textbook. Like I'll go to the, like the playoff game against the Colts. He has a corner blitz by Kenny Moore coming off the edge. He sees him the whole way. He knows he's got to throw a hot route off of it, but he knows if he buys him a time and makes that guy miss, he's going to be able to hit another big play down the field. And he just says, fuck it. I'll make this guy miss. I know coach told me to throw it hot all week, but he's not going to complain when I throw this 30 yard completion down the field. And he, so they're the constant pressure they put on the defense. That's another thing that just can't be quantified in quarterback rating and stats. The whole defensive game plans for when you face an Allen or Mahomes is just all about, wait, how do we stop him from making this throw? How do we stop him from scrambling? How do we keep him in the pocket? It's all about them. And last thing I'll say, because this is, I know I'm blabbering a lot, but I think what gave me confidence in Josh Allen is two years ago, I went up to Buffalo in the offseason. And I loved his game after his rookie year. I was, I was already all in. I saw the potential. But when I went up there and hung out with him for a day, I saw the things that you kind of mentioned already, Jim, where it was like the team was already eating out of his hand. They all loved him. I could tell he was the leader of the football team after his rookie year. The training staff, the coaches, the front office, the players, everybody was excited to see Josh Allen and be around Josh Allen. And that's one, because he's a good kid. But two, they know he's got talent and he's living it. He lives the sport. 
He's a gym rat. And that to me says, you know, superstar all day long. And I think that's what he'll, he'll be or continue to be. Phenomenal breakdown, man. It's uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, he's got to get past Mahomes now, right? We had Jeff Schwartz on here and, and he was breaking it down, Jim, right? On how they, was it the corner? Somebody, somebody would blitz him in his face all game. And he just, he wasn't himself that, that night. So that's the ball. Yeah, well, now. they got overmatched and that was a good defense. And here, here's another thing I'll say to stick up for Josh Allen, because there's a lot of Josh Allen haters out there, right? Because there's some people that still won't get off their draft evaluation. Right. And they right. won't self-evaluate themselves. Yes. <laughs> they, like at some point you got to self-evaluate and go, you know what? I think I was wrong, but there's a group in the media right now that still are like, that was just a aberration. That's just a one year. We don't know how that happened. What? No, we do know how it happened. Your evaluation in college is horrible and you need to get off of it. That's really, but like, um, I, I, oh, here's the thing I was going to say. Hey, they were, that's a tough matchup, Kansas City. I mean, Kansas City knows, knows that offense a little bit. They've had great experience playing New England. Dayball runs the New England offense. And when you have no run game, and then you have a guy like Steve Spagnolo who does every defense under the sun and mm-hmm. will do stuff that you haven't prepared for and all that, that's where it's tough. And the last thing I'll say is I think the weapons people have last year because of the haters, they overrate the weapons in Buffalo at times. You know, last year people were talking like John Brown was Odell Beckham Jr. And I was like, wait, wait, no. He just signed a $1 million free agent contract with Raiders. Where the hell did he have? The Raiders? Yeah. Right. So relax. He's not Odell Beckham Jr. Cole Beasley, very good. But this is not Julian Edelman or Wes Welker. Let's calm down. You got Stefan Diggs, who's a top five-ish wide receiver in football. You got Dawson Knox, who's, I think, an up-and-coming stud at tight end. But like people tried to make them like it was the one of the best skill groups in football last year. And I want to get no, 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 no. Negative Ghost Rider. It's a good skill group with a absolute great quarterback that's making a lot of these guys look like they're great. And that's, you know, it's a lot of pressure on Josh Allen. I think to me, there's more pressure on him than Rodgers or Mahomes or some of the other top quarterbacks, because I think more is on him than some of these other guys. And I think Buffalo realizes that. And that's why they've been talking about the run game and they're going to try to improve the defense and, and not have to depend on him making so many plays all the time. And I'm sorry, we've kept you so long, Chris, but one other quarterback you loved out of college. I, I just rewatched it the other day. Your, your breakdown was spot on Jordan love. If he's good, you just ship Aaron Rodgers' ass out of town, right? Your green Bay. Easy as that. Well, like <laughs> that whole situation's messed up. I mean, it really is. How they informed or handled Rodgers. I mean, that was all bad. We it know that. It wouldn't have changed anything, right? He still would have been pissed off, even if they told probably, him. Probably. Yeah. Probably. There's no doubt. I mean, listen, I don't understand the drafting of the guy at that point, anyways. This, this is 2020 we're talking about. Quarterbacks, guys like Aaron Rodgers can definitely play to their 40s. You know, you, you, Mosquito touches a quarterback now, they throw a flag. So <laughs> you can play a lot longer than my dad's day in the 80s and all of that type of stuff. You know, so I didn't understand the pick itself. You're in the Super Bowl window with a quarterback that was clearly one of the five best in football still. So, and then Jordan Love, like, I got real excited when I first watched him on film. I got like, oh man, his good is like, he can throw some lasers. 
But the more I watched, the more I came away going, man, it's raw. There's a lot of things we got to work on here and all of those type of things. And we'll see where it goes with Jordan. You know, I, I, you know, again, like to what Jim said earlier, it, it's loud. Like he was saying about Tua, it speaks loudly that he didn't even put on a uniform last year, that he didn't dress for one football game. He was the first round pick and, and he never dressed in the uniform. I think that tells you how raw. And I think within that, emboldened Rodgers to make more of a power play because he was like, oh, yeah, he doesn't look like he's going to be ready anytime soon. So you better kiss my butt and kiss it good while I'm here. Uh, and, of course, they haven't. And I don't know where that goes. But Jordan Love, certainly, this is like a huge preseason for him. He's got to kind of show us what he's all about this year a little bit. And it's – I don't think he shows up day one at training camp. Rodgers, that is. I mean, any prediction you want to shoot I, out there? Like what? I'm going to say he's going to be there. You know, wow. I'll say this. And, and, you know, I know – I mean, you've written some articles about Green Bay. So, you know, you maybe know more people than I do up there. But, like – uh, the one thing I always go back to, I, Rogers is very aware. He's very self-aware. I think he's aware of his legacy, everything like that. He's still like, you know, end of the prime of his career, whatever. He's still got great years left in him. I just can't see him missing the year. And I will say this too. He has no problem with anybody in the coaching staff and no problem with any player on the team. It's all front office. And I think that makes it easier. Like if it was the head coach he was pissed at and all that, I'd probably be like, yeah, he's not going to be there the first week or the first few days. But because of those circumstances, I think he will be there. Their team being good, he knows he only has so many chances. And I just don't think like part of his legacy right now is going to be stats. And right. I don't think he can throw away that year right now either if he wants to worry about his all-time legacy and those type of things as well. That's a great point. He, he does care deeply about – legacy stats and, and just to miss a whole year. It's, it's a matter of how dug in he is. And when he's dug in, he's pretty dug in. It's, it, it's know. been the number one story all off season for a reason, right? We've probably talked about it too much on here, but uh, it's, it's so fascinating. Uh, no, it is. Well, we've never had anything like it. I mean, I don't think in any sport ever that I can remember where it's like, wait, the MVP, yeah. certainly one of the three, four five best players in all of football, the team did him dirty. And now, you know, of course, he he's letting it known that he wants to do them dirty, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't think of any like similar circumstances there that really compare with what we're seeing right now. If he plays, he plays well. He forces him to trade Jordan Lowe. I can't get past that. It's like, what's the problem? And I guess, OK, you, you're unhappy with the pick. It's not the first or last time the team took a quarterback when that quarterback felt he could play. So maybe he does kind of revert to that. Take a deep breath. I. I don't know. Well, that's where we get into like, that's where we get into like the preseason is going to be big for Jordan Love and his future everywhere. Whether he gives enough confidence to Green Bay to go, okay, fine. We're, you know, the year's over. Rodgers played well, but we're going to trade him. Yep. We're going to stick with our formula, what we do here in Green Bay, you know, and go to our next, you know, phase of life, right? That's, they do have a formula they adhere by that I respect. I really do. I mean, they've been relevant for 20 years, right? So they're always in the playoff picture. I like all that. But where I always tell people when they go, well, look at them. They're always good. And they're always, and I, always, I go, well, but wait, context matters here. We got the Green Bay Packers for the last 24 years 
have had two of the six greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport, and they've won two Super Bowls. Something's wrong with that, you know? So at times you got to get away from your formula and go, wait, the formula is good, but right now we're just in this special window. We might have to break out of our mold and do something different. We might have to sign a free agent wide receiver. Whoa, or do something like that. But they refuse to do that type of stuff. And I just think all of it is like just frustrated Rodgers to the nth degree, especially when he sees, you know, he's friends with Brady. He's seen the support he's gotten in New England. And now he goes to Tampa and they put a freaking all-star team around him. He's he's pissed. So he he, you know, he wants success too. He should just take some pay cuts like Brady then, right? Let him sign some what? guys and Yeah. Well that that's find a Giselle that's who more, makes I'm more than him. Correct you there. I'm gonna he did. Tom Brady never took a pay cut. He didn't raise my hand and go into New England and go, I'll take less. New England said, here's your offer. Here's your offer. And you could take it or go somewhere else. And he said, yes, that, hmm. that's what happened there. Tom Brady early in his career, his his negotiating motto was, I won't take less more one dollar less than Peyton Manning. He went through a phase in his career in 2011, 12, 13 right? Where he did not play good football. They were good still. But as we've been trying to tell you the whole time here, you don't have to have a super, they they were, he was good, but not superstar good. They didn't draft Jimmy Garoppolo in 2014 because they were like, man, this guy's still top two or three quarterbacks in football. Let's draft Jimmy G so we can have him sit here for five years and then trade him to another team. They drafted Jimmy G because they were like, man, is it coming to an end with Brady? And that 14 season, when it became on to Cincinnati, Brady changed his game. I was there in 12 and, and in leading into 13, and he was the worst down the field thrower in all of football. Anything 10, 10 plus yards, Tom Brady was the worst quarterback in football. All they talked about when I was there was you push the ball down the field, push the ball down. He became obsessed with dinking and dunking. And that's when they started to put the strangle on him about the contract. So again, I love Tom Brady, but I'm not going to let every bullshit narrative go through and just <laughs> add to his legend all the time. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> hey, even when we disagree, I love talking to you. Cause it's like, I can see that logic with Aaron Rodgers in 2019. Like they did go to the NFC championship game <clears throat> and they got shellacked by, you know, Shanahan's Niners, but God, that week 17 against Detroit, he was not that good. I remember watching, watching the game. It's like, his fastball wasn't there. It was a little inaccurate. Sure. There was there was like just enough to justify, okay, bridge the present with the future, develop a guy for a couple of years, and he turns it on and wins the MVP, and he's phenomenal. So uh, may, maybe there's something to be said for that, too. Like you bring in a guy's replacement, you piss him off, and you, no, it I takes, hear you. takes the quarterback to another level. I think there's, there's something real there. There's no doubt. I mean, we saw the Broncos do that with Nick Maddox, right? Back in the day, they did it to John Elway in the early 90s. You remember that one? That was another one where you're like, what the hell is Dan Reeves and the Denver Broncos doing? Are you crazy? But it did. It lit a fire under Elway's ass and kind of gave him a second run to his career. I mean, there, there is something to that. There's no doubt. But it's a delicate situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, it's. I don't think Rodgers felt like he was anywhere near where we need to draft a quarterback type of combo yet. And I think that's where it's different. You know, Brady, I think back in 14, I think he knew a little bit like, man, I haven't been playing my best. I know we're good, 
but the 2013 AFC Championship game, they played the Denver Broncos. The Broncos just stopped LeGarrette Blunt. They let Brady have every throw he wanted down the field. He couldn't hit it. And that's what led the Patriots to go, oh, shit. And maybe it's coming to an end here with Brady. And, of course, he fixed that. And that's what's crazy about Brady. I mean, I would argue the last five years of his career were better. Or he's better now than he was, you know, 2009 through 2013, which is insane. It really is. I mean, Brady's amazing. He's another animal and still has a great arm and tough as hell and shit. He's Tom Brady. Well, he's no Chris Sims, you know, getting blasted in the chest and getting cut open and nearly losing his life. So, man, <laughs> it's the one thing awesome. I got out of him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, thank, thanks so much for hanging out with us. That was incredible, Chris. Anytime, anytime, Tyler, Jim. It was great conversations. I enjoyed right, it, man. I hope I didn't talk too much. My, oh my, my bad. God. No, that was right. that was amazing. And everybody should check you out. What just, is it at Chris Sims? What's your Twitter handle again? Uh, I am C Sims. Uh, uh, what the hell am I? At C Sims. At C Sims QB. And then I am at Sims on Button on Instagram. I mean, yeah, you see go. this social media crap, man. It confuses me at times. <laughs> <laughs> and PFT Live every morning. Check it out. Sunday night football, you know, when we get in the season, doing all yeah. that. Yep. Uh, so, yep, they got me working. I got me – they got me doing the, the full ringer for NBC. It's, it's a lot of fun working with them. Man, it's, it's fantastic to see. I'm so glad that you're getting out there more. I mean, we, we, we've got to have more people like you um, in, in the business. So, just uh, keep it up, man. And thanks for making time for us here at Go Along. We really appreciate you. Th thanks. Thanks, man. Anytime. Jim, Tyler, you be good. Talk to you guys soon, all right? All righty. We'll see you, Chris. See you, buddy. Be good. You too.